welcome to This Week in Sports. Here's your host, The Pony. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. It is indeed This Week in Sports, and I am your host, as always, The Pody. We've got a lot to get to in the sports world this week, and we have not a whole lot of time to do so. The New York Yankees will be getting underway in about 40 minutes or so. So I have got to speed through this, which I'm going to try to, um, but I'm going to do it as the as best I can. So I want to jump um, jump in right now and talk some NFL football. We're going to basically just leave it with football and baseball today. I know the NHL is underway. I don't typically follow the NHL all that much. Um, but I have seen some scores here and there. So just to speed through this one, it's really baseball playoffs and NFL week four and week five for you. So I am going to, um, jump right on it. And of course, you know, there's college football going on right now, but with that being said, let's jump right in. Let's talk NFL. And we start with last week's games, starting with the Chicago bears and facing off against the Minnesota Vikings, and the big story coming out of this one, well, there was multiple stories, but we'll get to that. Uh, The first one would be injury news. Mitchell Trubisky was knocked out of this game with a shoulder injury, which was later confirmed to be a dislocation of his left shoulder. Keep that in mind, left shoulder, also a slight labrum tear. The good news for Chicago Bears, well, I don't know if it's good news if you're a Bears fan, because I don't know how much you value Mitchell Trubisky, but, um, you know, not necessarily one of the stronger quarterbacks in the league, really a hindrance maybe for that offense, for that team as a whole, because we know how dominant and how great that defense is led by Khalil Mack, guys like Leonard Floyd, um, Eddie Jackson on the back end, just, just great deal of players there. So Trubisky, the good news is not, like I said, non-throwing shoulder, his left shoulder. The Bears are hopeful he can return in week seven. We're already uh, set up for week five tomorrow, correct? So with that being said, next week in week six, they have a bye week and they are very hopeful that they can get him back for week seven after that bye week. Okay, so next up would be another big injury that took place on Sunday, and that would be the Broncos. Um, their season has just been off to a miserable start. They are now 0-4, and unfortunately, um, they lost one of their prime-time um, outside edge rushers, second-year guy in um, Bradley Chubb, done for the season with an ACL tear. This happened late in the fourth quarter against the uh, Jaguars in another um, game led by Minshew Mania. And, and um, yeah, just another tough loss for the Broncos. So they will be without Bradley Chubb for the remainder of the season. Okay, next up, I want to talk about the Vikings. Uh, I want to take this back real quick to that Bears-Vikings game. This was an ugly one for the Vikings, who um, dropped a, a second straight game, I believe, um, 16-6 to to the Bears. Uh, the Vikings, I said at the beginning of the season, I said this on Glorious House of Gains, I believe somebody asked the, posed the question to me, I thought that this would be the season that the Vikings turn things around, right? We know that they started off the season with a win over Atlanta, which I called that one, but then they get a tough uh, luck loss against the Green Bay Packers. They come back and they they sort of thump the um, the Oakland Raiders, and then, of course, they, they lose 16-6 to this past weekend to the Chicago Bears. Now, those two losses are... Are, are nothing to be ashamed about. Those are two really good football teams, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, probable um, playoff teams, right? So nothing to be ashamed of. They're 2-2 two and two right now. They're right there in the thick of things. But the question that is coming into um, a lot of people's minds is the quarterback play by Kirk Cousins. He's always going to be known synonymously um, with that contract, $85 million dollars. Definitely not worth it for a guy like Kirk Cousins, but this is the nature. This is the age in football. He was the prize, big free agent out of that, you know, during that time when the Vikings brought him in. 
and the play calling. And the Vikings, led by uh, Coach Mike Zimmer, have really been trying to pound the football with Dalvin Cook, who has he has emerged really as as their top dog and their number one guy, and he's finally healthy. And so far through the season, I mean, he is getting a lot of touches. You know, he had, I mean, just they're trying to pound the ball with him thus far um, throughout the season. And um, for, so through four games, he has 71 rushing attempts, okay? And he's rushed for 410 yards, so obviously four games, 410 yards. He's averaging a little over 100 yards per game, 102.5 to be exact, 5.8 yards per game average. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Uh, He's got five touchdowns. So really, Mike Zimmer has made a push. They want to ground and pound with this offense. The only problem with that is you have Adam Thielen and you have Stefan Diggs. That is a that is a scary duo at wide receiver. Those are two of the best in the business. And after this game, losing 16-6, to I believe in this one that Adam Thielen only had uh, maybe one or two catches. I think six targets, two receptions for a measly like six yards, something like that. And uh, Stefan Diggs, yes, he had seven for 108, but there was just really no room to work with um, with against this, this vaunted Bears defense like I, like I have been saying all year with the Bears defense. So interestingly enough, after this loss, Adam Thielen has this to say. Take a listen. Well, I think I think that's probably the most frustrating thing is is we knew that that was going to happen at some point. At some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, um, even with the best running back in the NFL. Um, and, and that's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to make plays. Um, you have to be able to um, you know hit the ball, the deep balls. You have to do that because otherwise it's too easy for teams to just tee up and, and rush the quarterback. So uh, we have to be we have to be able to run the ball and pass the ball. In this league, you cannot be one dimensional. It's just too easy to defend. Yes, he's absolutely correct. And just to back that up real quick, I believe that Thielen was more more critical than that even right after the game. And then he kind of walked those comments back on Monday and said what you what you just listened to there. Um, can't really fault him. He's absolutely correct. You have to be able to run the ball and you have to be able to throw the the. Los Angeles Rams, why they were in the Super Bowl last year and why they are one of the best offenses in the game, although they have struggled a bit in the last two games, I will admit that much, but the reason that they have been so successful over the last couple of seasons is play action. And how do you work in the play action? It's the ability to run the football on first down. Okay, Todd Gurley was the best in the business last year. That offensive line was the best in the business. First down, he would gash them for maybe five, six, seven yards to set up second and short, which would set up play action. And that's where you get those big chunk plays. And with the Vikings, they've not been able to really do that. And when it does come time to throwing the ball, Kirk Cousins has been largely inconsistent this season. So after those comments by um, by Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins on his weekly radio appearance on KFAN, I could not find the audio, but this is a quote. He said, I really want to apologize to Thielen because there's too many opportunities where we could have hit him on Sunday. And I talk to the media. I always say until I watch the film, it's hard for me to really give you a straight answer. Well, now it's Tuesday night. I've watched the film and the reality is there were opportunities for him. So, okay, that's Kirk Cousins. Some people might not like him apologizing to a teammate like that, but, um, but I don't see anything wrong with it. He's he's absolutely right. He missed him on a bunch of pass plays. I'm thankful because I was playing going up against him in fantasy football, which I did win. I'm now 4-0. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Haters going to keep on hating on my team, but I just keep on rolling on. But anyway, yes, so... The Vikings are in shambles right now, and I'm going to get into why things got even worse throughout the week for the Minnesota Vikings. They do have the New York Giants coming up this week. The Giants have won two in a row. The Vikings are at minus five right now. That's the line. This is an intriguing one. I don't know that I would touch this game. I actually would love to lean Giants just because of everything that they've been doing. They've got the momentum. They've won two in a row. No Saquon again this week. I'll get into that in a bit. But um, back to the Vikings. Why things have gotten 
oh so wor- so much worse for them throughout this week. Well, here's the thing, okay? Their other star wide receiver, Stefan Diggs, word has it that he wants out of Minnesota, that he has requested a trade. So he was asked by reporters about this, and take a listen, an interesting listen, to what Stefan Diggs had to say when asked about the trade rumors. So, so is, there, is there truth to the rumors that you want to be traded? Um, I just answered that question, Chris. So you do want to be traded? I Did I say that? Well, you said, I said it's I said true. it was true to all rumors, and what I mean by that, so I can, you know, politely explain, um, there was a lot of speculation of me being frustrated. Of course, you know, at being a, being a receiver and um, wanting to have success and wanting to win, if you want to win and you're not winning, of course you'll be frustrated. That's my answer. So, really, okay, Stefan Diggs didn't answer the question. There's truth to all the rumors. And he tries to clarify what that means. No, 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 no. By saying there's truth to the rumors and not nipping it in the butt right then and there, you are alluding to the fact that, yes, you're very frustrated. You've, you're two and two on the season. Um, you're not winning games you think maybe you should be winning or taking strides in the second season with Kirk Cousins that you want to be taking. And you're frustrated and you want out of Minnesota. Okay. All he had to say was, no, there's no truth to that. I'm a little bit frustrated that we're not winning these games or that we're not playing better on offense, and that's that. But by saying there's truth to the rumors, well, guess what? Now people are going to continue to talk and say, and it's going to it's gonna become a hindrance on this team, on this football team, and we might see it on Sunday. This could get ugly moving forward for this Minnesota Vikings team if they don't come and show out on Sunday or tomorrow against the New York Giants. If they lay an egg and possibly lose this game, their season is over. I'm going to say that right now and be very clear. If they come out flat like they did last week, and they did, and they've been really on offense minus the game against Oakland. If they come out and they don't win this game big, or God forbid they lose this game and drop to two and three, their season is over. That's all I have. That's the last thing I have to say on that. Okay, next up, let's talk about something a little bit more serious, and that is the Oakland Raiders linebacker Vontez Perfect. He has, in fact, been suspended for the remaining 12 games of the season for a helmet-to-helmet hit, excuse me, on Jack Doyle of the Colts in that game on Sunday. Okay, so the reason for this is that Perfect has a well-known history of illegal hits, of helmet-to-helmet hits. He um, rocked Antonio Brown a few years ago when he was on the Bengals and AB was on the Steelers. Uh, many people have joked that that's what why AB has been off the rails and going nuts because he has CTE from that hit from Vontez Perfect, right? The league is trying to move away from these lowering the head type helmet to helmet hits. This is what occurred with Ryan Shazier of the Steelers when he basically went partially paralyzed, although the the courage and the strength that he's had to to come back from that and, and even be able to walk right now is unbelievable. So this is the um, largest, the longest ever suspension for an on-field action, for on-field actions, okay? This was nothing off the field. This was no domestic violence, nothing like that. They're suspending him strictly for his on-field actions over uh, you know a number of seasons, like I just said. Okay, so this took basically uh, perfect will be uh, appealing this suspension. And it's interesting because a lot of times when suspensions like this do get appealed, they do knock down a couple games. And so maybe he'd be able to come back at the end of the season. And the fact that maybe uh, watching the film, Jack Doyle was not hurt on this play. He did bounce back up and he did stay in the game. Well, the NFL today, earlier this morning, they released a second a second footage or a second video, rather, of that game on Sunday between the Oakland Raiders and the uh, and the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Wow, I almost said the Baltimore Colts. That's weird. I wasn't even around when they existed. But anyway, this one would be on um, Naheem Hines, the running back for the Colts. This was away from the play. It was kind of out of the picture, but you can clearly see another helmet-to-helmet hit from Vontez Perfect. So this is furthering um, 
the evidence against him. And so just to keep in mind for this timeline, Burfecht will be appealing this suspension and that appeal process is scheduled to take place on a conference call on Tuesday at about 2 p.m. So keep an eye on that. I'm sure Adam Schefter will give us the latest on those details when they when they come about. Okay, um, I also want to play a quick clip on Vontez Burfecht from Mike Greenberg because a lot of people are at their wits end with this guy and there's they've said enough is enough so take a listen to what um mike greenberg had to say on get up you to start this conversation with the history that vontez perfect has i don't know for sure that it would be overstating it to say that should be the last snap he has ever allowed on a professional football field in his life and it is the rest of the players in the national football league who should take that stand in a time where player safety is being emphasized that is contrary to everything the nfl is right now and it doesn't matter what people like me think the players should be banding together to get him thrown out of the league yeah absolutely um enough is enough at this point I know uh, one of my friends actually said by the once this dude is out of the league in a give it five ten years he's gonna be in jail somewhere for having basically murdered somebody. I mean this is a violent guy. He what you know um, somebody said it best. I, I, maybe it was Chris Canty. I don't know, but um, it's like once is an accident, um, twice it, it is a pattern, and then the third time, yeah, you know exactly what you're doing by that time. And, and so, yeah, uh, this guy is going to kill somebody or severely hurt somebody um, in the NFL if he's continue if he continues to be allowed to suit up and play. And, and it's sad to think that he was the um, he was the level-headed one and he was the mature one in Oakland with the whole Antonio Brown situation that was going on it's like wow those are our standards now it's like Vontez perfect and then Antonio Brown so yeah we need to um, make the standards a little bit higher and the league needs to really um, consider suspending or banning this guy for life okay uh, next up um, Tyreek Hill did return to practice on Wednesday for the Kansas City Chiefs. This is exciting because my fantasy team could really use him back. He was my number one overall pick at pick 11, okay? And I'm still 4-0 without him, but if I could get him back, that would be great. There was maybe thought that he would be able to play on Sunday night because they're playing the Colts Sunday night football, uh, 8-20 tomorrow night. But no, Andy Reid has already ruled him out with that clavicle injury. Hopefully, Hopefully he can make it back to the field next week. So just keep an eye on that. And then on the flip side for the Colts, I was willing, I was wanting to bet on this game too. Maybe a high scoring game, a rematch from the play, playoffs a season ago. Um, two good, uh, two good AFC teams. You know the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes didn't really play well last week. No touchdowns, as a matter of fact. But um, the Colts wide receiver. Uh, situation is really bad right now. Paris Campbell already ruled out, and T.Y. Hilton, another guy on my fantasy team, is a true game-time decision this week. He missed last week's game, and now this week he got in a couple limited practices, I believe, on Thursday and then uh, yesterday on Friday. So you really have to watch this one tomorrow morning and see if he is going to play. He has a few extra hours as they are the Sunday night game. But um, this is going to be a tough one to, to determine if you're going to start him or not in your, on your fantasy team. And then keep in mind, too, we do have a London game tomorrow morning. I still am not – I'm very confused by the time of it. Um, it's the Bears and the Raiders in London, and usually those games start at about 10 o'clock, but this one is still saying 1 o'clock. So um, I don't know. It's very weird. I guess it's a 1 o'clock game. They have really been hush-hush about this, and I'm pretty sure that it's if it was a 10 a.m. or a 9 a.m. game or whatever it is with those London games, that that would be more prevalent in the news and I would know about it. So uh, maybe just keep an eye on that when you wake up in the morning. Okay, uh, next up, I want to talk quickly about Saquon Barkley. So two, uh, not even two weeks ago or just about two weeks ago, he suffered that high ankle sprain against the Tampa Bay Bucks in that beautiful uh, debut game for Daniel Jones, overcame 18-point deficit, yada, 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 right? So um, he was ruled out for four to eight weeks, okay? Between four and eight weeks with a high ankle sprain. Tevin Coleman suffered from a high ankle sprain in week one. We have not seen him since, and it's been four weeks, although he might play on Monday night. Another guy to keep an eye out for who's on my fantasy team as well. 
Saquon Barkley is already back at practice and it hasn't even been two weeks. After 10 days, he was seen at practice running around, making cuts. I mean, the guy is a physical specimen. He's an absolute freak. And I'm I'm mad as hell because in my fantasy football league, we have a fab system, which means it's an auction when it comes to the waiver wire. So I bid, we get a hundred bucks for the year. I bid, um, whatchamacallit, I bid 35 of my hundred dollars on on uh, Gallman, the Giants' backup, of course, right, on Wayne Gallman, and I was able to get him, and he put in a stellar performance last week. I thought I was going to have Gallman for between four and eight weeks, and now it looks like I'm only going to get him for two weeks because Saquon, although he's back and he's looking like he's ready to go, he isn't going to play tomorrow against Minnesota, but look out for next week on a short week against the Patriots. He might end up suiting up in that game. Okay, next up, uh, real quick, sad news coming out of the Arizona Cardinals uh, organization. Their owner, Bill Bidwell, died on Wednesday. He was 88. Just a little backdrop on Bill, on Bidwell. Uh, him and his brother, Charles, inherited the franchise when their mother died in 1962. They co-owned the team from 62 uh, through, seven, through 1972 until Bill became a principal owner in 1982, and his father previously had owned the team since 1932 when they were based out of Chicago. Okay, some more injury news coming uh, from the Patriots. Their, their kicker of 12 years, Stephen Goskowski, is headed to IR. He will require season-ending surgery on his left hip. So they brought in a slate of um, of kickers to try out. And in the end, they went with the veteran Mike Nugent. Mike Nugent out of Ohio State, formerly drafted by the New York Jets, I believe, in maybe 2005 draft in the second round. So those were back in my Chad Pennington days. Those were good times for Jet fans, really. Um, so they also, not only did they sign Mike Nugent, to the active roster, so he will be kicking for them this weekend, tomorrow. They also signed Young-Ho Koo to the practice squad, another kicker um, that has bounced around a little bit in the in the league. And keep uh, staying on the topic of the Patriots real quick, let's talk about Robert Kraft. We haven't talked about him in a while since the whole, um, you know, saga where he went to the Orchids of Asia Day Spa and, you know, the rest. But anyway, so now prosecutors in Florida have filed a formal appeal to bring back to bring back those videos. I don't know why anyone wants to see these, but I guess they're trying to build their case. Um, so in April, if you guys remember, the judge, at the, the judge of this case, Leonard Hanser, issued a temporary protective order preventing the media from getting the tapes. That's what happens when you're a billionaire NFL owner and you have great lawyers, right? So a month later then in May, Hanser threw out the tapes as evidence in the trial. That's a big blow to the prosecution. The prosecutors said, uh, based on video captured by surveillance cameras, Mr. Kraft's guilt is a virtual certainty. So uh, the case is, is currently on hold until the appeal is settled. So um, I'll, know, I'll know more uh, as soon as it comes out or as soon as this is resolved, but something to keep an eye on. Okay, next up, uh, talk about the Jaguars, who after starting 0-2 are now 2-2, thanks to a little bit of uh, Minshew mania, as I'm calling it. Um, so their, their prized owner, Shad, uh, Shad Khan, um, said he does not want to trade Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, after that second game of the year when they dropped to 0-2, the rumors started circulating. Jalen Ramsey said he wants to be traded, blah, blah, blah. Then they came back with a quick Thursday night game against Tennessee that they were able to win. And then, of course, this past weekend, they beat the Broncos to even up their record at 2-2. Two and two. So here's what Shad Khan had to say. We value the values Jalen adds to us. To the Jaguars. I think we value him highly. We're still looking at what is the right thing for the Jaguars, and I think right now the best thing is to have him be part of the team. Oh, it's so funny how things change when you go from 0-2 to winning two straight. Yes. So um, that is something to keep an eye on. If they start losing some games, maybe maybe they trade him. If they start winning and they get into playoff contention, I think these rumors will die down really quickly. Okay, next up, I want to I wanna briefly talk about my New York Jets. This season has been an absolute disaster after having 
decently high hopes coming in Sam Darnold's second season. Of course, he goes down after week one with the mono. They had the bye week last week. Hopes were that he'd be back this week to face off against the Eagles, looking for a desperate win. The Jets are 0-3. They have scored one touchdown on offense, one touchdown on defense, and one touchdown on special teams. Like, I mean, that's what they did through like three games. Just absolutely horrible. Okay, so unfortunately, even though Darnold came back to practice, he was ruled out for this game uh, tomorrow. He will not suit up, and we'll see if the Jets can maybe sneak out a win against the struggling Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I doubt it. They'll probably go to 0-4. Then Darnold gets to come back against the Dallas Cowboys and then the New England Patriots in Week 7, and it could get real ugly, guys. So again, Luke Falk will be making his second career start. Okay, um, want to back things up? Not back things up, but really, I just want to uh, talk about Thursday night's game. Just occurred two nights ago, right? Uh, between the Seahawks and the Rams. Seahawks were the home team, so therefore they were favored by a point and a half. This was finally another good Thursday night game. Probably our second good Thursday night game in a row. And um, I wanted to jump on the Rams on this one and bet them, but I had a lot going on with the Glorious House of Gains podcast that things didn't work out. I just couldn't bet them. Um, I know the Rams have been struggling. Started 3-0, then they dropped that crazy game to the Bucks last week. It was in the 50s. Um, Jared Goff threw for 500 yards. He threw 68 pass attempts, something like that, 63 or 68 pass attempts, which was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so I thought that, you know, that they would bounce back and they would beat the Seahawks at home in an upset, you know, division game, nice and close, right? Well, that didn't happen. What happened was it was a very good back and forth game. Seahawks found themselves down 29 to 24 on a fourth and one from about the say 10 yard line of the Rams with about 215 remaining. They score the go-ahead touchdown on a crazy little play from Russell Wilson to uh, to Chris Carson. Uh, take a listen. Wilson steps through, flips wide open, and caught after a juggle for the touchdown, Carson. So that would give the... Seattle Seahawks a 30 to 29 lead okay and they ended up going for two obviously to make this a three-point game Russell Wilson tried to hit DK Metcalf in the back of the end zone and it was knocked down maybe should have you could argue should have been caught shouldn't have been but it's no good so right then and there you have a good idea that the Rams just covered the spread and if you bet the Rams you were winning because with two minutes and 15 seconds left or two minutes left, that was that. They would either go they would either go down and win the game or lose the game. And it turned out that they went down the field, had a chance at a 34-yard field goal for the win. And my man, Greg the Leg, ended up missing this field goal. He actually missed it wide right, but he kicked it. I it looked like it went straight over the right upright. I mean, that's how close it was. So yeah, the Seahawks hold on for the 30-29 victory. There was a ridiculous touchdown early on in this game. Russell Wilson scrambling to the left, throwing um for a righty to scramble left and then th- and then um throw with his right hand, it's it, it's not natural and it makes it much more difficult. But he flipped this one up to Tyler Lockett in the back of the end zone and he made an unbelievable catch. There was like a 6.8 or 6.9% uh, chance that he would catch that ball and indeed he did and he it was just ridiculous. So yeah, Seahawks, uh, Russell Wilson was actually a little emotional after the game um, when he was being interviewed on the field. They move to uh what three and one now, and the um 
the uh, the Seahawks actually are now in third place in that division, if you can believe it or not. After starting three and zero, they have now dropped two games, and they sit at three and two in third place. Sorry, Seahawks are now four and one, right? Because we've had five weeks, and they're and they're just behind the 49ers, who are sitting at three and zero because they had a bye week as well with the Jets. Um, so yeah, that was a great game. Uh, real quick, I just want to recap some of the other games. I know we're 30 minutes in here, but I'm going to make this a little bit quick. It's almost five o'clock now and uh, the Yankees come on in about 10, 15 minutes. So, okay. So let's go over some of the uh, other games that um, occurred last week. Um, let's see, you had the Obviously, you had the uh, Eagles-Packers. That was a great Thursday night game. You had There's something wrong with the Falcons right now. They dropped at home at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 24-10, they lost to the Titans. I think the... So here's the problem. Me and my friends have theorized this now for, for since last year. The Falcons are trying to establish the run in the first half, and it is not working, and they're not abandoning that. And by the time the second half rolls around, they decide, oh, we have Julio Jones. Okay, let's throw him the ball every time. And then it starts to work. They start to get some rhythm, and they start to get some flow, but it becomes too little, too late, and then it's too predictable because it's like we know you're throwing every single play, and then they have a couple fourth downs here and there that they just cannot convert, and they end up losing the game. The Patriots screwed me over once again. They did not cover. The spread was 7, and they won 16-10. to 10. They were up 13-0. They were about to make it 20, and Tom Brady threw an ill-advised interception in the end zone, and then the Bills um, were able to score 10, basically uh, 10 more points after that, and the Pats just didn't look like themselves. Uh, the Chiefs did not cover as well. That screwed me. They won 34 to 30. Like I said, Patrick Mahomes did not have his greatest game. No touchdown passes or touchdown runs. And so he's going to be looking to bounce back mightily. Um, you had the Raiders in a surprising win over the Colts, although it wasn't that surprising because the Colts are seriously banged up on both sides of the football, like I alluded to earlier. Uh, you had the Chargers. They actually covered. I think the spread was like 16 there. I was hesitant on that one. Melvin Gordon came back. He was on the sidelines, suited up, but he did not play. Okay. You had the Giants smashing the uh, Redskins 24-3. to the Redskins are in shambles right now. They pulled um, Case Keenum in favor of Dwayne Haskins, who then threw three interceptions, including a pick six. You had the Browns surprisingly beating the Ravens 40-25. to Yeah, I was very surprised by this one. This just goes to show the Ravens are not as for real as we thought after the first couple of weeks when they were playing some of those cupcakes. Everybody wanted to jump on the hype train with the Baltimore Ravens. That defense is is bleeding right now, and they are desperately missing C.J. Mosley. Okay, um, the Panthers won again behind Kyle Allen, 16-10 over the Texans. Um, the Steelers got a really nice Monday night win for their first win of the season, 27-3. The Bengals are just falling apart. Zach Taylor is learning real quickly what it's like to coach in the NFL um, as they drop to, what, 0-4 now. And um, on top of that, uh, they lost their their star one of their star wide young wide receivers John Ross headed to IR. Um, I said the Broncos dropped another close one to the Jaguars. The Bears beat the Vikings. Um, the Seahawks took care of business. Um, the Saints got a nice upset win over the Cowboys, twelve to ten, in a very low defensive minded game. Um, yeah, that this you all know. The, uh, the Saints are my Super Bowl pick. If they could just weather the storm until Drew Brees gets back, they're going to be fine. Okay, real quick, let it, let's go over these, um, these games for, for week five for tomorrow. Uh, some of the games that I, that I really like, Chicago Bears minus five against the Oakland Raiders. Tyrell Williams for the Oakland Raiders is a questionable game time decision. He is dealing with an injury. Um, He's probably going to play. He has scored a touchdown in every single game this season. Only player to do so. Only receiver to do so. But they're playing the Bears. That defense is getting better each and every game. And they're in London. So I like the Bears minus five even with Chase Daniel. Okay, um, you have the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Bucks. The Saints are minus three against the Bucks. The Bucks offense has been rolling. Um, I like what they've been doing, 
But um, I'm sorry, uh, the Saints defense has been really good, and this is where the buck stops. I think the Saints can win this one by more than three. And then, like I said, the intriguing one that's, that, that intrigues me is that Vikings-Giants game. Giants are at home. Minnesota's minus five and a half. This could go one of two ways, obviously. It could be Minnesota in a comeback blowout because they need to get it get it going or the or they could still be reeling there could be inner inner turmoil going on within the the confines of that locker room and that organization and the giants could come out and daniel jones could stay hot and he could get his third straight victory to start his career that could actually happen the ravens and the steelers the ravens are three and a half point favorites in this one i think that's a little low i know like i just said that their defense hasn't been able to stop anybody but i'm just not the steelers i'm not buying them mason rudolph is okay but that's that offense they're kind of one-dimensional right now um james connor's a little banged up so i would actually take the ravens because they need a nice bounce back game um, you have the Patriots against the Redskins. This one is at 15 and a half. Patriots are on the road, but that doesn't matter because the Redskins have zero home field advantage. They decided to start Colt McCoy in this game, which is wow. Um, earlier in the in the week, Jay Gruden was asked, and he said, um, I really don't know who's starting, and, and now it's going to be Colt McCoy. I think the Patriots are angry. Um, there's going to be no Patrick Chung in this game, no Rex Burkhead, so keep that in mind. But um, I still love the Patriots. They're at 15 and a half, and, and I think they could win this one easily by three touchdowns because they need to definitely bounce back. Uh, and then, of course, the Sunday night game is the Colts and the Chiefs. Kansas City, 11-point favorites. I'm going to have to stick with the Chiefs in this one. Um, I was going to think that maybe this one be would be a little closer. It, it's definitely going to be worse if, if T.Y. Uh, Hilton uh, does not suit up. Um, but even so, I think I'm going to take the Chiefs because I think Patrick Mahomes is due for a monster, monster game after having zero touchdowns last week. And then Monday night game is the 49ers-Browns. The Browns kind of proved me wrong. I feel like sort of an idiot because I can't sta- stand the Browns. Um, but they they bounce back nicely with that win over the Ravens. And now they face the 49ers, who are 3-0 and on Monday night. San Fran is at home. The spread is minus four in favor of San Fran. Um, I'd love to take the 49ers in this one, but something tells me um, that the Browns uh, might have turned the corner on the season. So uh, we'll see. That's a tough one, but that's pretty much most of the games. Uh, another good marquee game, actually, that I failed to mention is going to be the Cowboys hosting the Packers. No Devontae Adams tomorrow. So uh, keep that in mind. Dallas minus three. I am going to take Dallas in this one just for that simple fact. No Devontae Adams, one of the top five or six best receivers in the league. So you're at a significant disadvantage without him. So I, I love uh, the Cowboys in, in this one at minus three. Okay, guys, um, that was a long segment um, for football. I've got about 20 minutes or so left um, with the baseball, but I've got to take a quick break and, and read off this ad, and, and, and then we'll come back and we'll get into the baseball, and then I'll let you guys go and, and so you could um, enjoy enjoy your weekend. So uh, take that quick break. I'll read this, um, this ad because I've got to pay the bills, got to keep the lights on, as does everybody. So uh, quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, guys, uh, we're back, and we're going to make this quick. We're going to speed through this. This is the uh, MLB segment. There's a lot to get through with the playoffs having started this week. Um, We're going to start with the um, Angels. They decided to fire their their manager, Brad Ausmus, after just one year, the team finished fourth in the American League West at 72 and 90, despite having um, the best player in baseball in Mike Trout, who had another outstanding MVP caliber season. Many are speculating. Um, this is what, what I'm hearing and what it seems to be circulating, which does seem to make a lot of sense. The Angels are going after a big name coach and Joe Madden was just let go or they parted ways Joe Madden with the Cubs and they and many people believe that they are going to make a big push to try to hire Joe Madden although if the Mets have anything to say about that they might go after him <laughs> yeah right um, I'll get into that in a second so okay we'll start with the NL wildcard game that took place on Tuesday between the Nats and the Brewers unfortunately I will admit I had I went to sleep Um, this game was on way too late and I was extremely tired. It was almost 11 o'clock, probably after 11 by the time this one ended. And I, I knocked out 
just around 10-15. And at that point, the Nationals were losing the game because they decided to go with Max Scherzer as their starter. And we all know Scherzer does not have a good reputation in the postseason. He gave up three early runs, and the Nats found themselves in a very familiar situation because they can just never seem to get th- get through and get past that that wild card game or that first round game or a winner die die game, um, but things took a turn for the best or better in the eighth inning when Juan Soto came to the plate. Take a listen. Line drive, base hit to right. Battle score one. Battle score two. As the ball gets away from Grisham and right, that's going to score three runs, and the Washington Nationals have the lead. They have Soto hung up. They tag him out, but nobody in this joint cares. Yeah, um, just unbelievable. If you watched it live, uh, it took a little bit of a weird hop, but it got past Grisham, and that was his first career error. And unfortunately, that would be uh, the straw that broke the camel's back because they would score the go-ahead run there, and they would not look back and they end up winning that game. And the Brewers might might have been the hottest team in the uh, National League, maybe in all of baseball, coming into this one, despite the fact that they lost their MVP in, in Christian Yelich. Um, so their season is over, and it's a tough, tough, heartbreaking loss for the Brewers um, because, you know, um, they're, they had the lead. They went to their bullpen, which is very good. And unfortunately, Josh Hader, their all-star closer, just didn't seem to have it. And uh, yeah, that them's the breaks. And their season is over. And the Nats move on to the to 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 face the Dodgers. Um, on Wednesday, we'll talk real quick about the um, American League wild card between the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays. Another game I really wanted to bet on. I don't know why I didn't, but that would be um, the Rays were the team I wanted to bet on. They were the underdog. Everybody was picking Oakland. I mean, you turned on ESPN. They were all picking Oakland. Um, Just everybody was picking Oakland. And I was very surprised by this because Oakland, the Oakland A's were 0-8 coming into this game in in, um, winner go home games, you know, right? Do or die games. And um, so with that being said, the... Oakland A's did not win this game. Um, the Yankee game just started top of the first inning, so that's why I'm, I'm looking over at that. I've got the stream going behind me. Um, okay, so the things got off to a rough start. So you had Charlie Morton, and this is the reason that I elected to go with the Rays, and I was picking the Rays, and that's because they have the veteran presence, the guy that's been here, done this, won a world championship two years ago with the Astros, and that would be Charlie Morton. And opposing him was Sean Manaya. Good young stud lefty, mid twenties. You know he's like 27, 28 years old, and he uh, coming off labrum surgery. Okay, from August twenty eighteen, just came back in September. Been pitching very, very good. Um, but the Rays had a game plan, and that was to go up to the plate and swing often and swing early at that fastball. And Yandy Diaz, the Rays' first baseman, who was. In playing his first game since mid July, I believe, um, they, they, uh, Kevin Cash decided to put him in the leadoff spot for whatever reason, and um, yeah, he did not disappoint. This would be the first batter of the game. Three one pitch on its way, swing and a drive to right field and deep. Back at it is Loriano to the wall, and what a way to start a game! Yandy Diaz goes oppo and he gives the Rays a one nothing lead right out of the gate. As I was saying, they said he can wake up and start hitting, and that's exactly what he did. Yandy Diaz with a leadoff home run, and the Rays have a one nothing lead in Oakland. That would be John Shambi on the call on, I think, ESPN Radio. He is one of the best in the business, man. If you've never heard John Shambi, uh, he is absolutely great. He should be doing broadcasts on ESPN almost every night. That's how good he is. Uh, so the Rays, who surprisingly didn't hit that many home runs on the season or not really known as a home run hitter. They hit four home runs in this game. They got one from uh, from Tommy Pham and Avisail Garcia 
hit an absolute moonshot. It came off the bat at hundred over 115 miles an hour, fourth hardest hit home run in postseason history um, since they've been tracking exit velo. Um, but it would be all Yandy Diaz. He went three for four in this game. And guess what? He did it again in the middle innings. Jason and Mike and Eduardo were oh. talking about same swing, same ball, same result. Yandy Diaz did it again. Manny, almost the same pitch. Oh, my God. I'm looking over at the Yankees. Nelson Cruz with a weak grounder up the middle toward to uh, Tanaka. He booted it. Both guys safe. This coming after he he hit the second batter of the game. Um, Polanco, I believe it was. So it's first and second with one out. Okay, so yeah, Charlie Morton, he goes five strong innings, and the Rays hold on to beat the A's five to one, and the A's once again are eliminated, and Billy Bean still, after all these years, looking for that World Series championship. Okay, then on Thursday afternoon, early, maybe late morning, early afternoon, the Mets came out and announced that they had fired Mickey Calloway. And are we really surprised? Oh, my God. No, not at all. The rumors were circling that this was going to happen. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen is a very ego-driven uh, guy. He, wa- he, you know, Mickey Calloway was not the guy that he hired. He wants to bring in his own guy. And um, for Mickey, it's very interesting because he increased his win total by nine games from year one to year two. The last manager to do that that was fired was back in 2010. Uh, so yeah, that's a little a little bit surprising there, and and the players did they they played hard for him, and really it, not mu- you could argue that not much of it was Mickey Callaway's fault because it, it was really Brody Van Wagenen that that signed these players and brought in Cano and Diaz and, and uh, Ramos and all these guys right and, and Familia, and so Callaway could only do so much with those guys, but when you really look at the grand scheme of it, Mickey Callaway was not a good manager. He got the double switches all. All discombobulated all the time. He actually they batted out of order because he submitted the wrong lineup card or something one game. Just an absolute mess, a disaster. Um, he didn't really know how to talk to the media very well at all. And um, so maybe this time around, when they go through the interview process, they will not interview their their managerial candidates for forty five minutes. By comparison, the New York Yankees interviewed every single head coaching candidate for about nine hours. Granted, I believe that is absolutely absurd and excessive, but the Mets spent 45 minutes with Mickey Callaway and were like, yep, you're our guy. You just went to a World Series with the Cleveland Indians. You're a great pitching coach. Let's do it. You're the guy. As Rosario hits into a double play to end the first inning, baby, and the Yankees get out of a little bit of a jam there, so good job by Tanaka. So yeah, the... um. The Mets fired Mickey Calloway, and to no surprise, because the Wilpons are so cheap, they are probably going to hire a no-name guy, somebody that is making his managerial debut that's never managed in baseball before. I know all the fans and everybody is going to speculate. It's New York, you know, go get a big name like Joe Girardi's name is out there, Buck Showalter's name is out there, as well as Joe Madden's name is out there, who I just mentioned is linked to the Angels. Now, here's the deal. Yes, the Mets do they need an old school guy that's going to come in that knows what he's doing that's going to not make any mistakes when it, when they need you know uh, when they need to make the correct call or they need to you know do the right thing yes however that guy a Joe Girardi who is a world series winning manager with the Yankees in 2009, right? Buck Showalter, you know the history of these guys, okay? And of course, uh, Madden won the World Series as well. These guys have a pedigree, and these guys are smart baseball lifers. Those guys are going to cost you about $4 million a year, possibly more. Joe Girardi's name has been swindling and has been linked to many, many jobs. So he could, hey, they could interview him and he could be like, listen, 
I've got this team on the phone. I've got this team on the phone. I want to manage here, but it's going to cost you $4 million. And then the Wilpons are going to be like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll pay you $2 million, and then he's going to walk. And they're not going to be willing to pay an extra million or $2 million for one of these coaches. And so another guy whose name is floating out there would be the Mets quality control coach, Louis, Luis Rojas. Okay, I know nothing about him, mind you. Uh, maybe Mets fans know who he is. I don't. Uh, they're even... There's even talks of Carlos Beltran. His name has been floated out there. That, to me, is a more interesting one, but that, to me, would just be the Mets are trying to go out there and they're trying to copy what the Yankees did and get a, you know, uh, a former player making, you know, his debut as a first-time uh, head coach. So uh, what will the Mets ultimately do? Probably nothing we saw coming. Probably something stupid, and they'll probably go out and hire some guy for $900,000. So with that being said, let's stop talking about the Mets because I spent way too much time on that, and they are irrelevant. Let's get back to playoff baseball because on Thursday, we had a pair of games, uh, first between the Cardinals and the Braves, and then the Nats and the Dodgers, and we will start with the Cardinals and the Braves. Um, And the Cardinals, I went out on a limb here, and I picked them to be in the World Series um, I really love that pitching staff. They started game one with Miles Mikolas, and um, it was a very intriguing game. And they somehow overcame a 3 1 deficit in the eighth inning. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run, and then Ma- Matt Carpenter blooped a single down the left field line that scored one, and then Colton Wong was thrown out. That tied the game up at 3 3. And then in the ninth inning, they broke it open on this bases loaded hit from um, Marcel Ozuna. Take a listen. With one out, they are loaded. 0-2 pitch, curveball, a shot, fair! Down into the corner it goes. Fowler is in. Right behind him is Edmund. He will score. And in the second base with a two-RBI double, Marcel Ozuna. Yep, that broke it open. That made it 5-3. They would then score another pair of runs on a Colton Wong uh, RBI double two batters later. The Braves then came back in the ninth inning and added three runs of their own, but Nick Markakis struck out looking to end the game, and the cards held on for the thrilling 7-6 victory in Game 1. Um Next up, you have the Dodgers and the Nats. This was a late one uh, in the nightcap. The Dodgers, surprisingly, in game one here against the the um, the Nats, elected to go with, wow, um, they elected to go with their third pitcher, Walker Bueller, um, instead of Clayton Kershaw. We know his struggles in the postseason. And Hyunjin Ryu, who I think led all of baseball with um, like a sub- 2-5 ERA somewhere around there, or maybe 2-6. Uh, as I look over, DJ LeMahieu just led things off with a, with a double down the right field line. Great throw there, almost got thrown out, but he's in there safe with uh, to, to lead things off for the Yanks in the bottom half of the first. So anyway, back to Walker Bueller and the Dodgers. Well, the decision by Dave Roberts paid off in spades because Bueller went six innings of one-hit ball, had eight strikeouts, Max Muncie added three RBIs, and the and the Dodgers won this one handily, six to nothing. Patrick Corbin gets the loss there for the Nationals because obviously they were shorthanded uh, coming off of the wild card game in which Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg both pitched in that game. Now let's let's move things right along to last night, Friday night, in which every single playoff team was in action, and. This one started off yesterday afternoon with the Rays and the Astros in a battle of the Orange Juice series, courtesy of Michael Kay, because the you have the Astros playing in Minute Maid Park, and then you have the um, the Rays who play in Tropicana. So uh, yeah, it's a battle of the uh, Orange Juice series. Yeah. So um, this one, this is what scares me, okay, about the Astros, because this was vintage Astros. This is World Series potential Astros. To me, this team is better than two years ago when they won the World Series. 
Justin Verlander was even better than Walker Bueller was on Thursday night. He went seven absolutely dominant innings, allowing just one hit, improves his record to 8-0 and in 12 career ALDS appearances, and an overall 14-7 and record in the playoffs. I mean, this is deadly, and I know what's going to happen if the Yankees make it past the Twins and have to face this potent three-man rotation that consists of, or this three-headed monster that consists of Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and of course, Zach Greinke, who they traded for at the deadline. So anyway, um, this was knotted at zeros between uh, the Rays and the Astros. Into the fifth inning, you had Tyler Glass now opposing uh, Verlander. And then in the fifth inning, Jose Altuve got them on the board with a nice little two-run shot into the short porch there in left field at Minute Maid Park. And then um, they would add two more runs on a Yuri Gurriel pop-up that turned into a fielding error by Brandon Lau. He just dropped the ball down the right field line. The The Rays would score a pair in the eighth inning, but it wouldn't uh, prove to be nearly enough as the Astros take this one 6-2. to two. They lead that series one zip. The second game yesterday was the Cardinals and the Braves. Jack Flaherty on the hill for the Cardinals. He has been arguably the most dominant pitcher in the second half of the season. So I really thought that the Cardinals, if they could get this win, get to 2-0, I thought they'd be the favorite last night, that they would be in a commanding lead to finish off the Braves and get one step closer to a World Series. Unfortunately, um, Flaherty did not have his best stuff. Mike Fultonavich of the Braves did, and uh, he proved to be way, way, way too much for for the Cardinals. He went seven scoreless, yielded just three um, three hits, and striking out seven. Um, yeah, Flaherty went eight innings, but he gave up all three runs, and um, it was started off with a Josh Donaldson two-out RBI single in the first to score Ozzy Albies, and uh, the Braves later plated two more in the seventh on a uh, pinch hit two-run shot by Adam Duvall. This series is now tied after the Braves get that 3 nothing uh, win there. Uh, and then, uh, of course, let's talk about my Yankees. Excuse me, my Yankees. They played last night in the second-to-last game. Uh, this one started at seven, just after 7 o'clock on the Easter, uh, Eastern Coast, East Coast time as Gardy just takes a... Uh, Pitch right down the middle, 0-1, first and second, nobody out, nothing, nothing still. Okay, so Paxton on the hill. I'm, I've got to admit, first playoff game of the year, I'm always a little bit nervous, right? Um, but I will say this much. Uh, the Yankees did not disappoint. It took them a little while to get going, but they in the, in the end, they got it going, okay? And foul ball, okay. So it started off in the first inning. This is, this to me is going to be the most intriguing series. I know the Yankees' history with the Twins. They seem to just blow past them in the playoffs, yes, but this is a different Twins team. Yankees and Twins, two of the four teams that had over 100 wins on the season. Yankees and Twins also, the two teams with the most home runs in the history of baseball. The Twins broke the record with 307 home runs this season. The previous record was the Yankees last year with like 286. The Yankees had one less, 306. So you knew you were going to see a lot of home runs. Well, it started off second batter of the game. Um, Paxton gives up a home run to Jorge Polanco. Nelson Cruz hits a solo shot in the third inning to make it 2-0. Yankees finally, thankfully, get on the board in the bottom half of the third when they score three runs to take the lead. After a pair of so after a pair of singles, um, and Edwin Encarnacion, he seemed like he was locked in for his first couple at bats. He would double to score one run. Um, Guardy hits a fly ball to right center. Let's see if LeMahieu can tag up and get to third. Yes, he does. Judge stays at first, so first and third, one out. Um, okay, so then. Uh, Encarnacion doubles to score the one run, so it's two to one. Then Glaber Torres hits a ground ball to third base, that uh, fielder's choice, that scores two more thanks to CJ Crone booting that ball. He makes the error there. And then uh, the in the top half of the fifth inning, Paxton was back out on the hill. He gives up a um, 
double and a single. The Twins would tie the game there. They would have to go to the bullpen, pull Paxton for Ottavino, who then who then um, walks a batter, lets him steal second. And uh, no, what did he do? He gave up a. Um, yeah, he came into the game, gave up a stolen base, walked the batter, I believe, and then they pulled him for Tommy Canley, who was able to wiggle out of uh, trouble. And so that, that game would remain tied until we hit the bottom of the fifth inning. Um, and with the bases loaded, the Yankees would take their final... Their, excuse me. The Yankees would take the lead for the final time in this one. Take a listen. Glaber Torres with the at-bat of the game to help the Yankees overcome a 2-0 deficit and ultimately um, go on to beat the Twins. Here it is. Hit hard and Bonsano and down the line. It's off his glove. And ricochets back into fair territory. Two-run score. Torres pulls up at second with a double. Yeah, uh, he gets the uh, that ball was absolutely smoked. Sano got a glove on it, but just could not be just could not get to it. The Yankees would take the five three lead. Uh, Miguel Sano, who, who uh, could not get to that ball, would come back in the sixth inning, hit a home run to make it five to four. Well, um, the Yankees would then get home runs from DJ LeMahieu and Brett Gardner in the sixth inning to make it 7-4. And then in the seventh inning, DJ LeMahieu would clear the bases with a double to give them the 10-4 lead, and uh, that would be the final as they would go on to win that one and take game one 10-4. I believe, oh, let's go. Edwin Encarnacion with the base hit off the end of the bat, and the Yankees take a one to nothing lead here in the first inning. I believe they said it is the 14th straight playoff, a straight loss in the playoffs for the Minnesota Twins, which is, which is a new record. The Red Sox um, ha- held that previously at 13. They were tied with them. Um, so yeah, just not very good for the Minnesota Twins. And uh, the Yankees take a nice early lead right here. Okay, and then finally in the late night game, I have not been able to watch much of this series because these games are just on way too late. You had... Um, you had Clayton Kershaw opposing Steven Strasburg, really good pitching duel. Well, Strasburg, excuse me, not Strasburg, Kershaw's uh, struggles in the playoffs continue. Uh, he gives up three early runs in the first two innings. First on a Howie Kendrick RBI single in the first inning, and then in the second inning, um, Adam Eaton would single in a run, and then Anthony Rendon would uh plate a run with an RBI double of his own. The Dodgers would add a run in both the sixth and seventh innings, but the Nats grabbed one more insurance run in the eighth to hold on for a 4-2 win. They even the series at 1-1. Um, yeah, for it's, it's weird. Kershaw has been able to silence the critics slightly in the last couple play, uh, postseasons as they went to back-to-back World Series. But just overall, man, his, his struggles in the playoffs are real. Just much to, much like uh, Max Scherzer, they just dominating pitchers, and they just do not pitch well in the playoffs. It's very, very weird. Um, so with that being said, um, I am going to go watch this Yankee game. Enjoy this as Giancarlo Stanton grounds into a double play to end the inning, of course. I'm sure he's getting booed really loudly right now at Yankee Stadium. Um, I just want to say, before I leave you guys, I have one more segment on this date in sports. Obviously, there's playoff baseball all throughout the weekend um, that you can watch. I'm sure you'll be watching that. There's um, football games on tomorrow. Hopefully, I can go 5-0 and in fantasy despite all the injuries. Okay, um, last but not least, on this date in sports... We take it all the way back to October 5th, 2001. Barry Bonds' 71st home run eclipses Mark McGuire's previous record for the most single-season home runs in MLB history. There obviously is always going to be an asterisk next to that because we know that Bonds was on the juice, but nonetheless, it is a spectacular feat. So take a listen to what it sounded like on October 5th, 2001. Uh, No. Uh, excuse me, on October 5th, yeah, 2001. Here it is.
Okay, guys, I think that was gonna that that will wrap it up. I think that was just over an hour, maybe hour five, hour ten or so. Went a little bit over, but what can I say? There's a lot to uh, bring to the people, to the masses. I hope you guys can take my bets, go win some money. Obviously, there was college football all day today. Um, I won some more money thanks to Rutgers absolutely sucking. Of course, they fired Chris Chris Ash. Um, after their blowout 52 nothing loss to Michigan. And um, coming into this one against Maryland, they were only underdogs by 13 points. I absolutely jumped all over that. They lost like 48-7. to I told all my friends that they need to jump on this game. I told everybody listening on the Glorious House of Games podcast, you need to jump on this game. And luckily, one of my friends, he sent me his bet slip he dropped, he was at Park Casino in PA. He threw $500 um, on this one, and it was the easiest win, and he was texting me. He's like, good looks on that bet because it is easy money. I've been saying it for a couple weeks now. Bet against Rutgers every single time, and you will win. Um, I had 140 bucks in my MyBookie account, threw it all on that game. Won 128 bucks, so that's good. I have like 269 bucks in there now that I can use to bet on uh, tomorrow's games in the NFL. So with that being said, guys, I hope you have a, a a happy, healthy weekend. Go enjoy playoff baseball. Hope your team is winning. I'm rooting for the Cardinals, who I picked. Hopefully they can pull through against the Braves. Hopefully my Yankees can get this one won. And um, who knows? Um, maybe the Jets. Just maybe they will uh, surprise me tomorrow. But uh, I doubt it. So with that being said, I'm. you've been listening to episode 69 of This Week in Sports. Pody out.